Welcome to PR After Hours, your weekly cocktail of news and interviews with leading thinkers in PR, marketing, and business. So pull up a chair in our virtual lounge. Your host, Alex Greenwood, will be right back after this. Welcome back. Today, we're thrilled to be joined by a guest whose story is as intriguing as it is inspiring, and more on him in just a second. If you recall, though, in May of 2023, we had the privilege of hosting Julia Petrick, the PR head for Keefe-based MacPaw, and they're celebrated for their suite of apps designed to enhance Mac computers' performance. I'm using it this very moment. I used it before the show because it gets my Mac where it needs to be, so I don't like glitch and fall apart during the show. Of course, I just jinxed myself. It will probably freeze up during the show, but we'll work on that later. All right. So we talked about her PR army and beyond. And to all of our listeners who are out there in the field of public relations, if you found yourself listening to that episode and questioning what you might do if you found yourself in Julia's position, well, we have something else for you to think about today. We have a chance to view the situation from quite another angle as we warmly welcome Julia's colleague, Volodymyr Dektorov. Um, before the world was rattled by the invasion of Ukraine on February 24th, 2022, Volodymyr was at the helm of Newsfront Communication Agency as its co-founder and CEO. This agency was one of Ukraine's leading consultancies, and it boasted an impressive roster of more than 30 employees and a pool of global industry-leading clients such as BMW, Takeda, Lenovo, Danone, and among many others. However, the course of his life dramatically shifted on that fateful day of the illegal invasion of Ukraine. Vladimir immediately stepped up to serve his country, joining the Territorial Defense Forces. After going through basic training and serving in the Kyiv region, he was deployed to the front lines in the east of Ukraine. After four months of war in July of last year, he was appointed to the Public Affairs Unit of the Command of Territorial Defense Forces in Kyiv, and here he oversees a wide array of communications projects from social media management, which if you follow, you got to follow that stuff if you're not, it's incredible, to content production, managing teams of embedded military journalists, assisting with fundraising, building partnerships, boosting commands projects through strategic communications. Today, we're going to delve into his remarkable journey from leading a successful PR agency to serving on those front lines. We're going to hear his insights into the ongoing conflict and how he's using his communication expertise to inform, connect, and empower in the midst of crisis. So welcome. Join me in welcoming uh, our good, our new good friend of the show, Volodymyr Dektorov. Volodymyr, welcome to PR After Hours. Thank you, Alex, and thanks for having me. You're welcome. I I imagine you were sitting there going, when is he ever going to shut up and introduce me? But I really wanted to lay the predicate because most of our listeners to this show are PR marketing professionals. And, uh, you know, uh, I just cannot, as I said in the introduction, imagine going from running, because I run a company just like you, not as not as successful, but I do all right. And I can't imagine going from that and saying, uh, we've got a much bigger problem than, you know, making payroll or getting that new line of business. I have to go to basic training to defend my country. Can you, could, could you just step into those shoes? It might seem like ages ago to you, but it's really only been less than a couple of years. How did that feel for you? Well, um, first, I never was uh, serving in the army previously. Uh, I mean, I enjoyed reading all the Navy SEALs books uh, and imagining myself in the shoes of those uh, special ops guys. Um, but I never served in the army uh, and uh, I never did 
like competitive shooting or anything like that. However, some months before the full-scale invasion in February uh, last year, I started thinking about joining the reservists, yeah, signing the reservist contract for territorial defense forces, which is a Ukrainian analog for National Guard, I believe. Yeah, so basically these are civilians uh, working their normal jobs uh, and then getting together now and then for uh, individual and collective military training and being ready to step up in case of need. Uh, unfortunately, that need arose much faster than we expected. Um, and I think that is something that nobody was expecting, including some of the leading global uh, international analysts and the Russians, uh, is that the number of Ukrainians who stepped up and joined the army. So the territorial defense grew, in fact, overnight uh, from 6,000 to 120,000 people. So the recruitment offices were filled. There were uh, lines of people willing to sign up. Most of them had no military experience at that point. Uh, and in fact, since territorial defense is spread out throughout Ukraine, it became a quick entry for uh, people in any region. So it uh, helped create this first layer of defense while the career military um, was building up. And now, over almost a year and a half into the conflict, uh, obviously, the military has transformed. I mean, uh, the Ukrainian military right now is around, well, totally defense forces right now are around a million people. Uh, well, and it's just to give an understanding of how big the conflict is and why we need that many people. The active front line currently is around a thousand kilometers. And if we talk about uh, the overall border with Russia and with Belarus, which is still an enemy state, um, and Transnistria, we're talking about 3,000 kilometers that need to be guarded and bordered. So that means a lot of people, uh, a lot of boots on the ground that we need to keep both in active uh, fighting and uh, in this uh, protection and uh, resistance mode next to the border. So uh, I don't remember who exactly said that uh, wars are started by career military and uh, ended by uh, blue collar workers and engineers and uh, IT workers. So that's what's happening right now. In fact, I think most of the Ukrainian army is mobilized and uh, had no or little military experience before that. So I didn't, uh, it's not that I really had much doubts or options. Obviously when I was joining the territorial defense forces, we had expectations that we might still stick to our region or territory. Um, and then were sort of surprised when we had to go into battle and go into Kharkiv region and be part of this frontline forces. However, on the other hand, I mean, looking at what the Russia is doing to the cities that it's trying to capture, 
obviously it's better to protect your home or your city from far away than like from the outskirts where it can be reached by artillery. So that's uh, a choice that I uh, really did not uh, have to do much thinking about. I was thinking that, well, if everybody leaves Ukraine, who's going to be there to protect? It turned out that, in fact, a lot of people stayed and protected, which is uh, definitely a good thing. And then, as you said, a couple months into the conflict, uh, the command of territorial defense forces started building up its uh, uh, public outreach capabilities and started looking for people with previous civilian experience. And it turned out that there were a lot of them. Um, and uh, I got pulled out of the trenches and back into the sort of office or a bunker doing primarily what I did in civilian life, but with a bigger and a higher purpose. Yeah. And you know, um, I can, and I, it's not my business, but I can only imagine in your spot though, to go to the front lines. And the first time you hear an artillery shell go over, uh, or, or you hear gunfire in anger, it's, it's not the seal seal team books anymore, is it? <laughs> no, 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 definitely. Definitely. It's not, uh, however, um, I mean, I've done quite a lot of all types. So adventure sports, free diving, mountain running, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, wrestling, and all types of stuff that is sort of helps you get over your nerves. Yeah. And obviously, a Brazilian jiu-jitsu tournament is nothing like a, a military battle, but the type of emotion or stress, uh, I think it's pretty much similar for the body. So being able to learn to control your stress was... Uh, very helpful for me and that's something that i employed uh, a lot and i'm grateful for uh, to myself for uh, having that experience uh, in the past you that's know one I... thing. and the other thing is that um well there are two things that uh, impact your survivability in combat so one is your training and the other is luck you cannot impact your luck, but you can definitely impact your training. So the better trained you are, the better you are able to coordinate your actions with your team, the better you are organized by your commander, uh, the, more, <laughs> the more luck you get. Uh, so um, well, that's why they, they... I think that it's, uh, well, the role of leaders and uh, commanders is uh, paramount. So in fact, as we look at the survivability and uh, combat readiness of our units and all the research that we are doing already right now, it shows that one and only factor uh, that determines uh, the success of a unit is uh, the commander. And I think it uh, takes us back to the role of leaders uh, in companies and in business. Um, well, they, there's a saying that the you know the, the harder you work, the luckier you get. We say that over here, which just means you know prior preparation prevents poor performance. You've probably heard all of these these aphorisms in business, but you know as a 
crisis communications practitioner, um, one of the things I had to learn early on was to keep my cool because typically with a client and they're in the middle of a crisis communication situation, their hair is on fire. This has never happened to them. They don't know what this means. Why is the news media knocking on our door? Why is our name being spread all over the place in not a nice way? And they look to you, PR person, as the one who, first, how do we fix this? But they also look to you and take cues from you. You become their leader, I think, through those situations. So I'm just hearing a parallel between, and forgive me, I know it's not the same as war, but I'm just trying to hear a little parallel that other PR people might understand from what I think you're saying is, you have to develop that ability to uh, control yourself during a crisis. Um, if you lose your head, that's probably an easy way to get hurt or killed in a, in a battle zone. And then in a business situation, it's an easy way to lose that that particular uh, bit of warfare. Is that is that fair to you? Does that sound like a good thing, or am I off base there? No, you're you're absolutely on point. In fact, um, one of the well, the, I believe the main area that business can take lessons from the army uh, in terms of planning and responding um, and response to crisis is actually planning. Because I was surprised, like I said, I never was in the military. I didn't have a chance to see how the military decision-making process looks like, how the troop leading procedures uh, look like. So I was surprised to see that there is a very clear structure on how to make decisions in a situation when you lack information and resources and uh, that it's a true science that is taught in war colleges to officers to commanding officers that there are like seven eight specific steps that you need to take that there are certain uh, schemes uh, that you need to fill out and forms that you need to go through and i in fact i was surprised to see some of the stuff that I recognized uh, like, oh, for instance, uh, the human terrain analysis matrix is same as something that you do in terms of audience analysis or target audiences uh, matrix. Uh, the issue and crisis response map and the way you structure and analyze uh, potential crisis by their um, impact and uh, uh, possibility is very similar to something that we did in crisis simulation uh, scenarios. It's just that military does invest a lot into training their leaders specifically for those things. And uh, they might get criticized sometimes for over planning. But mm. when you realize that you've got a lot on the line, like not only uh, money but uh human lives human lives or combat operation uh result uh it it gives you understanding why uh planning planning for multiple scenarios is so important and uh all those war gaming uh exercises and uh simulations uh, that learn the team to work together so i think that right. uh, the military way of thinking and planning is specifically applicable to all kinds of crisis in business right Do, you know, i've read and again i'm not a military person either uh, i think you and i have something in common i 
I do a little kickboxing. I'm old now, but I'm when I was younger, a little kickboxing. You try to stay in shape. You got to be physical, uh, physically well to keep your mental uh, faculties. In my opinion, that's one of the things. But, but the question I was going to raise is, I did some reading that the United States Army and the Ukrainian Army and Defense Forces have a similar structure in the sense that the NCOs, the non-commissioned officers have authority it's not just and correct me if i'm wrong i've read this maybe i'm wrong or read the wrong thing but it's not just the top commander it's not just the general and the colonel who have you know there is some decision making ability allowed as for sergeants to run a platoon that kind of thing I, maybe it's not exactly the same you'll correct me please if i'm wrong but but one thing i think is a clear clearly evident is that the russian army has no such thing uh, they're just throwing waves of people at you, and it doesn't appear that anybody on the NCO level has much decision making, um, which is again, of course, a parallel to to what we do pre-war. Right? We we have to be able to have members of our team, in my opinion, authorized to make decisions. It can't all be from the top. So, one, am I am I correct or incorrect about that assertion about your army? And even if I'm incorrect, what do you think about the idea of empowerment to people who aren't necessarily the leader of the team? Well, I think that um, definitely Ukrainian army is closer to the NATO standards and the U.S. standards and all the basic principles, like something that you're talking about is called in the army as mission command. Basically, when you move from centralized command and control to uh, centralized command and decentralized control. Well, specifically, the term is mission command, when basically you delegate the responsibilities and uh, resources to the least capable level. Um, however, you need to maintain uh, understanding of commander's intent. Right. So, one of the principles of military planning is basically to make sure that you understand the commander's intents of your two higher-ups. Basically, if you're a platoon leader, you need to understand what's the bigger intent of your uh, company commander and uh, battalion commander. And that gives you flexibility in understanding and making decisions um, on the ground where a situation might change or um, you might have input or new information uh, on the act on the enemy actions etc so you need to make other decisions and definitely that's something that is lacking uh, in the russian army that's why we see so many russian generals killed in action which is uh, evidence of the fact that they need to be so close to the uh, front line to still command uh, their forces. Yeah, and, and, and that's something that uh, we here in Ukraine are trying to teach uh, to all junior officers and to our NCOs uh, specifically uh, how to make those uh, decisions. Uh, definitely something that helped is that a lot of civilians with their background joined the army which means that these are people who are well in business i mean this is more understandable when you are given a task to your subordinate you always want to make sure that he or she understands what exactly you're going to do with that information further on right at least right. Well, that's what i did in uh, back in my job that whenever i give a task to one of my 
consultants to collect this information or that, I would always um, follow that up with why exactly I need that or how I'm going to use that piece of information or data, etc. It's the parallels are interesting. I, I think it's trite to say that warfare and business are are in any way analogous because I, I think that uh, diminishes the the deadly seriousness of warfare. But I do, I do see the parallels here, which I, I are hard. It's hard not to point them out. So forgive me if it seemed trite. I didn't mean it that way. But um, let me ask you: Can we take a step back? What's going sure. on with your company while you're doing this? I was and am lucky to have a business partner. Um, she was doing more strategic work while, while I was heavily involved in operations. And uh, so she stepped in and uh, is running the company right now. I've got 80 hours work weeks uh, here. So uh, I don't really get uh, much chance to jump into my uh, operations I sometimes am able to show up at uh, Zoom meetings uh, once or once every every couple of weeks just to see the faces. Um, but the business is running uh, and uh, we've managed to keep most of our team. It's interesting that uh, I mean, out of 30 people, about half are abroad. They had to flee Ukraine. And uh, so now, we were thinking of becoming an international company at some point. So uh, we are now with our team uh, members in uh, Israel, Turkey, Canada, um, all around Europe um, and Ukraine, obviously. It's, um, it's, it's fantastic though. And it speaks so such volumes uh, about your partner and course your your staff that even in your absence uh, they are soldiering on they are continuing and the company is I'm, I'm glad to hear is not suffering tremendously although I'm sure when this conflict is over they're going to be so glad to have you back and speaking of having you back and and I happen to believe you will prevail I happen to believe this and I I, I know you in your heart do I hope you do um but if I know you probably can't spend a whole lot of time thinking about well when this is over what's next but you're going to be a different person than you were the day you went to basic, aren't you? I'm just curious, do you think that, or first of all, have you done any thinking about that perhaps, maybe even just taking a moment or two thinking, well, when this is over, what will I do or how will I be different? And if you have, what will you bring back with you to your business from this experience, do you think? Well, I think that definitely this experience uh, of working with the government and the military and uh, so being a part of a larger team that is uh, making some bigger changes within the system of military education and uh, communication, et cetera, that's definitely something that has enriched me professionally. Mm -hmm. So I never worked with uh, government clients or politics or military. Uh, so now I have, and that's definitely something new knowledge and experience that uh, I'm pretty sure that we as a business or a company will capitalize on in terms of taking on bigger projects, maybe even moving from specifically uh, communications to something related to education or training um, and uh, something like that. 
I definitely, um, well, I, since I have missed my time with the army previously in my early years, so it's, uh, I'm 43 right now, so it's kind of late to get into the military career to start from scratch because it takes many years to build this uh, experience. But definitely, I think that things I learned in this job, about in this service, about the military psychology, about uh, building lar larger systems and structures, about communicating to global and internal audience about crisis communication, that's definitely something that uh, is going to be very useful further on. Because obviously, we... I, I, I understand that we are in this uh, for a long, long run. Even when the uh, this war uh, ends, I mean, we're not going to get uh, rid of Russia being our enemy state and still an empire next to us. And if you look at the history, I mean, Russia was always trying to uh, get rid of Ukraine just because of the geography. I mean, we're blocking its access to the Black Sea. We're blocking the empire's access to the trade routes. Um, so no matter who's going to be in charge of Russia or who was in charge of Russia or what regime it had, it always had its eyes on Ukraine. So that means that Ukraine needs to become this uh, border state uh, between I would say like the democracy and this uh, this old uh, imperialistic word. And that means that uh, Ukrainian citizens need to be uh, able to combine this potential military capacity and capabilities with their regular daily life. So becoming those uh, sort of citizen soldiers. Well, that sounds a lot like the way most Israelis feel in Israel. They're just they're surrounded by people by, by countries that don't wish them well, and you have a very solid citizen soldier uh, citizen soldiery that they have to depend upon. And that attitude is is just going to have to be the way it is. Um, I I realize that we're getting close on time. I just got a couple more questions if you have a moment, Vladimir. But um, I didn't ask you this earlier, and I'd love to just get your perspective. You've talked about how the Army has changed you and your business, but I'd love to know how the Army, by bringing in talented experts in your field like yourself and social media people, how have you changed the Army? I think that the fact that so many civilians have joined the Army is a big factor in itself. It means that uh, some of the strict or old processes uh, that might remain just as, because of habit get questioned. Uh, it means that a lot of the innovation is happening within the army. So everything related to electronic warfare, to drone wars, uh, to innovations. I mean, Ukraine is a huge uh, is a huge lab for military attack and uh, anything related to that. I've talked to a couple of investment funds recently who are entering Ukraine and are 
looking at all kinds of smaller innovators and companies and businesses that are working with uh, military technology because and they're and they're saying that oh, we made a pool of a hundred of those innovators or businesses that we're looking at uh, so i think that has been a big uh, a big impact definitely well and in terms of communications uh, i think that thanks to uh, guys back in the civilian life like the pr army like uh, julia's efforts um, and people who have joined the armed forces and are in those uh, communications roles right now like me and we've got people like me throughout uh, the forces that definitely has impacted uh, so we've got fantastic and talented visual uh, guys motion design guys uh, journalists who are becoming now so uh, military journalists who and who are able to produce fantastic uh, content so um, well the armed forces of ukraine has recently come come public with the new brand book first and a very comprehensive brand book uh, basically covering all forces all types of content any use uh, of logos and visuals etc so something that is normal for a company but uh, would seem strange for a military organization right or well let's uh, to go there and I, as we start I have to start to wrap up here i'd like to ask you something um um what and i let's just speak to we have uh, listeners all over the world of course we do um but specifically americans who and maybe you can't speak to this if if it's within your role in the military to not say these things i understand but i just want to ask you what 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 do Americans need to understand, perhaps, about this conflict that that a lot of them don't seem to understand? Is there something you can tell us from your perspective that would resonate with them? Well, there are several things. Well, first is that there is a way of reasoning with Russia. Obviously, not. So there have been so many instances of Russia breaking its promises. So the only way of bargaining with Russia is after it's defeated and on the terms of the democratic world. So that's uh, definitely one thing. Second thing is that Russia is very sneaky in terms of its propaganda hmm. and the way it's uh, hiding its messages and the way it's uh, using its sort of so-called liberal progressive opposition figures to still broadcast its uh, message uh, is something that need that uh, you need to be very careful about well and third that obviously ukrainians are fighting this war but this uh, would not be possible without the help of uh, nato countries and us uh, specifically so definitely we are very very grateful for all the military assistance that we're getting uh, because even the recent events of the counteroffensive showed that yes western equipment only does not win wars but it helps save lives 
So even the fact that some of the equipment is lost, I mean, it's negligible compared to the fact that people are surviving uh, those combat actions. We see um, our soldiers getting out of uh, Bradley's landing on the mine and walking out to an ex-Bradley and getting on it and getting out uh, safe. So we can get new equipment, we cannot get uh, new people. So definitely more equipment, more armed vehicles uh, is definitely something that needs uh, to be on the table all the time. Well, there's people who don't who clearly don't understand what's at stake here, here in America who maybe they engage their mouths before they engage their brains. And for that, I know that's probably disheartening to you and your people, but understand there's plenty of Americans like myself who do understand what the stakes are and love your people. My goodness, I cannot wait until things are calmer. I want to come and be a nuisance to you and introduce myself in person. I, I want to do that. Vladimir, I'd like to just close with this PR professional to another. What can we as a profession do to help Ukraine? Well, making sure that... Um... Ukrainian voices and messages are heard globally, uh, making sure that um, Russians are silenced. And like I said, uh, there are many instances, and I keep hearing from my friends who have uh, left Ukraine for the US about how the huge support is in the US. So just yeah. that. For that, we are very grateful, both for helping with the military stuff and the financial stuff, uh, but also for hosting our families. That's very uh, important. That's of crucial importance too, the human side of that and hosting families. And there's so much more I'd love to talk to you about, but I know you're extremely busy, man. You're literally fighting a war. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Vladimir Dektorov, I am uh, honored to meet you. And I would just say to our listeners, listeners, the news cycle goes quickly. And a lot of times right now, everybody's concerned about some five people who maybe lost souls at the bottom of the ocean looking at the Titanic. And I understand that's interesting news. But we have people literally dying in a war. And as our guest said, this is the front door of where the Russian bear is, and it's going to take constant vigilance. And I would just, this is speaking for myself, listeners, not for Vladimir, I hope he agrees. Do what I've done. Write your congressman, write your your, your senators, write the president, tell everybody you know that this the stakes of this are far beyond what is simplistically called Ukraine's war. It's not. It is a war, literally, for keeping democracy alive in the world. And that is the hot point right there where Vladimir is. Vladimir, but that's just how I feel about it. And you are welcome on my show anytime. And if I can help in any way, please don't hesitate to call me. I would be uh, honored to help in any way I can. Thank you, Alex. Thank you.
Do you want to start a service-based business or become a freelance writer? Or maybe you are one, but you're figuring out the things that most people figure out. And one of the hardest things about starting a freelance business is finding clients. So you do all sorts of things, right? You change the rates on your website 10 different times. You go back and forth on every proposal, always undercharging because you're scared to charge too much. You offer services you don't love because you think more opportunities will come your way. Listen, I learned this the hard way. That's just not true. If you can relate to anything I just said, I've got something for you to hear about. And this is especially for you if your monthly revenue is inconsistent, you're struggling to make at least three to five K per month, and it's hard to find those dream clients the gurus keep talking about. Well, listen in. My friend Joe created a resource to teach you the shortcuts that took her years to learn. In her free copywriting class, she teaches how to write high converting copy and shows you the steps she uses to pitch her services and connect with clients. If you've been wanting to niche into copywriting, develop your writing skills, and learn how to position yourself to attract better quality leads, just take a look at her free class. All you have to do is go to thevirtualmama.com slash alexcopy. That's T-H-E-V-I-R-T-U-A-L-M-A-M-A.com slash A-L-E-X-C-O-P-Y. And of course, as always, don't worry. It's in the show notes. Click the link in the show notes and find out if copywriting is right for you and if it's a way for you to be your own boss and succeed. You know what that means. It's last call here at the Virtual Lounge. Be sure to visit PRAfterHours.com for links to what we discussed in this episode and more. Be sure to follow us wherever you get your podcasts. And join us next time for another round at PR After Hours with Alex Greenwood.